Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound Off. China is something that actually unites Republicans and Democrats. We have a huge problem with cybersecurity, and it's growing. We've got to have wealthier people and corporations paying more of a fair share. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. President Biden likes to be the big thing. He likes to put out the big concepts. There's still a long way to go with this flat tax. We have to break the partisan line. This isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an American issue. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Roadshow begins. Thanks for joining us on Bloomberg Radio as President Biden leaves the bubble to sell the infrastructure bill and what many consider to be Trump country. We'll bring you to Southwest Wisconsin coming up as the White House makes the pitch to small towns and rural communities that need new bridges and faster internet, clean water. Ahead, we'll talk about the infrastructure push with Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and later with Republican Congressman Blaine Lutkemeyer of Missouri. We begin today in La Crosse, Wisconsin, a small city, about 51,000 on the Mississippi River, where you don't need to drive too far to find sprawling farmland. That is where the White House chose to continue the sales pitch on infrastructure. More than 1,000 bridges here in Wisconsin are rated as structurally deficient by engineers. 1,000, just in Wisconsin. And I'm not, that doesn't make Wisconsin better or worse. It's all across the nation. President Biden speaking at the La Crosse Municipal Transit Utility, a bus center where the optics were deliberate. Bruce was playing on the radio. A stage surrounded by construction equipment, spools of cable, a hard hat casually placed, road signs that read a future made in America and Joe Biden's folksy side on full display today. We're going to talk about this with a couple of people who stand to benefit from infrastructure improvements, but likely have different needs and different ideas on how to pay for things. Likely do not agree in the end on what it should all include, how big it should be. And we start this morning, make that this afternoon, with the mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, in New York today for a special event. Mayor Bowser, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you for having me. I know you joined six mayors from around the country and the world today as part of a Bloomberg Philanthropies panel to discuss solutions to enhance public services, the mission of your conversation. It sounds a lot like our national conversation around infrastructure, and I'd like to ask you about that with regard to the district. As President Biden takes the show on the road today, can you tell us what your critical needs are in the district? We can take these one at a time. How would the how would the hard infrastructure bill, the bipartisan bill, work for the capital city? Well, that's a great question. And actually, today, while I'm in New York, I will be touring with the president of Amtrak, the new Moynihan train hall in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I'll be doing that with a group of business leaders um, from D.C. Uh, and our goal is uh, to focus on the transformation of Washington Union Station. 
Uh, and this infrastructure bill um, would include over $25 billion uh, that cities like ours would compete for to invest in transformative infrastructure projects like Washington Union Station. So it really means in hard dollars and cents about $2 billion um, that would go a long way to the $8 billion transformation of Washington Union Station. Does that bill have enough money for public transportation in your opinion? We always need more for for public transportation uh, and the federal government's recognition uh, that it has to be involved uh, with cities and regions in transforming public transit is important. Uh, and when I say that, however, I know uh, you're talking about mass transit, I assume, but we're also talking about the commuter rails that will go into Union Station. Mm-hmm. We're also talking about our airports at um, Reagan National and Washington Dulles. And uh, all of those are going to be important, an important part of our comeback. Uh, we're letting uh, the the nation know that D.C. is open. Uh, we want our travelers back. And uh, it is great to be able to say for the last 16 months that there have been some critical improvements uh, to those facilities. We were at D.C. National a couple of weeks ago with the president of American Airlines. They can completely transformed a terminal there. And we know there have also been other improvements at, at our airports. But um, focusing on the, the 95 corridor, getting people on the Amtrak to come back to Washington is going to be hugely important for us, including our business travelers. Now, mm-hmm. this is my first um, business trip. Um, Congratulations. First trip. Thank you. How's it feel? It feels fantastic. <laughs> um, but uh, we know that we, we got a lot of work done, certainly virtually and on Zoom, and we know a lot of companies have had that experience. Um, but frankly, it's great to see so many people milling around here at Bloomberg in New York City. Um, and we know uh, that people want to get back to those face-to-face business meetings, too. I was looking at the 2021 infrastructure report card for the District of Columbia. And you talk about infrastructure sectors where data is scarce or unreliable, school facilities, levees, stormwater, still suffering from a lack of condition information or inventory of assets. I read, and there are significant challenges that lie ahead uh, following the pandemic, following COVID, where, with revenue streams, I read, threatening to derail the progress made over the past four years. We had a pedestrian bridge collapse uh, last week over 295. I wonder where your head is on this recovery from COVID and getting enough money to fix problems like this one. Well, uh, it's... Uh Investing in our nation's infrastructure has to be a national pri- uh, priority, and I think it has to be a um, – we have to have some uh, a national sense of pride about it. And certainly when we, we travel internationally and we see the improvements to some uh, airports around the world, we want all of our airports uh, to, to be uh, updated as well. Uh, you're talking about real uh, – the real facilities that people interact with every day, like mm-hmm. that pedestrian bridge, it was hit. Um, so I don't want to give anybody the impression that it just fell down in the highway. Um, it was struck by a vehicle uh, and it failed and it, it, it collapsed. We were very lucky that nobody 
um, was seriously injured uh, in that collision. Um, but it does speak to how uh, transportation infrastructure has a community development impact as well and how um, the highway system uh, had been used, had been developed in uh, mid-century to divide communities. And that pedestrian bridge literally connected uh, to underserved communities um, to each other. Uh, now, in the start of my uh, mayoralty in 2015, uh, we actually invested in a new bridge just a little ways south um, from um, where that uh, collision happened that connects the metro station um, to a community just to the south. So we need to do more of that, and we need to do it faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and the promise of a, a massive infrastructure bill, keep in mind, we've been talking about this in earnest for the last five years, uh, doing one more infrastructure bill. Um, but the promise of having a, a big investment, it means all of the, the public uh, workers will be focused on getting that money out the door. The private sector companies will increase their capacity to get it out the door. Um, so what we really need is to be able to do projects like this, get people hired, but also deliver them faster. A lot of these public infrastructure projects from uh, conception to funding to implementation are six, eight, maybe eight, ten years um, from getting done. Um, and I think in part of our partnership with Bloomberg is to allow us to use um, digital tools uh, to do these projects more quickly. Lastly, Mayor Bowser, just want to ask you, in terms of human infrastructure, the other plan Democrats are working on would include child care, elder care. Do you believe those investments will help to get people back to work, or is it COVID in the District of Columbia that's keeping some people away? Well, it's not COVID, um, but it is how COVID has transformed um, our ways of working. We've crushed, we're crushing this virus in D.C., uh, we have driven down our case counts, hospitalizations, and deaths related to COVID in a dramatic way. Um, that's why we were able to open on June 11th. Uh, D.C. government uh, will be uh, fully in person uh, by July 11th. Uh, and we know that all of our office, uh, office workers and uh, the tenants of our office buildings can feel very uh, safe uh, in going back to work. Metro is open and can accommodate uh, commuters in going back to work. And we've also been working hand in hand with our child care providers to make sure that they can get open um, too. So we have many child care pro providers that are open, but still many more to open. And school um, will be in person five days a week um, for, for this fall. Um, so we know there's a lot of, of parts of our um, of our system of supporting young people um, that have had been offline or modified that will be back in place. Um, but I agree with President Biden uh, in saying that um, child care and elder care is part of our nation's infrastructure that allows people to work. I'll just use myself as an example. I have a three-year-old and I have 80-year-old parents and they both need my help. 
Um, and uh, I'm in that kind of generation of people that's getting pulled in, in all directions. And for people to be truly productive, um, to have a reliable, um, caring, vetted people um, that can help with that care. I just learned this term from one of my fellow I-team members from Bogota. Um, if we if we are relieving ourselves of that burden of care, which we know disproportionately falls to women, um, we will will get all of our workforce back. Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. Many thanks for joining us today on Bloomberg Radio, live from Washington, where there are a lot of questions about what should end up in the infrastructure plan. The bipartisan bill, the bigger human infrastructure legislation, how many pieces and how we're going to pay for it. That's where we begin with Congressman Blaine Lutkemeyer, Republican from Missouri, who serves on the House Financial Services Committee and is also ranking member on subcommittees on small business and consumer protection. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Good to be with you, Joe. Great, uh, great to be with you this afternoon. Well, thanks for being here. I've been going through the 2021 uh, Missouri Infrastructure Report card by the American Society of Civil Engineers. It points out that your state has the seventh largest number of bridges in the country as well, the seventh biggest highway network in the country. So, Congressman, we'll start here. Is this infrastructure bill good for small businesses, your specialty here, or are you more worried about the price tag? Well, I think uh, we've got several bills out there, so let's make sure we talk about the right one here, Joe. Why don't we start with the bipartisan bill? Hard infrastructure. Okay, the bipartisan bill, yeah, the bipartisan bill has probably got some good stuff in it for um, for everybody. Uh, It's got a few things. The price tag's a little little iffy for me, but uh, it's not paid for, which is a problem. Uh, but I think there's stuff in there that actually would be good for my district, but for rural Missouri, good for our cities and towns in our state. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got some problems yet as well. What are they? Well, I think, you know, you're looking at number one, how do you pay for it? Now they haven't figured out how they're going to pay for it and what they're, they're doing. If you go with uh, the administration's tax plan, as how they're going to pay for this. This is a disaster for small businesses. Um, the tax plan, you know, you're looking at, you know, you raise the corporate rate, C-corp rate, um, about a third. Uh, a million small businesses are C-corps. Um, if you look at just the inheritance um, problem, the inheritance tax problem with the bill, you institute something kind of new, which we never had for about 50, 40 years here, which is the stepped-up basis for inheritance. Uh, so like I had a guy the other day, who was a farmer. He said, uh, Blaine, if this goes through, I bought my farm 40 years ago for $3 an acre. And now it's worth $6,000 an acre. My family will never be able to pay the taxes on it when I pass away. Mm-hmm. And we're going to lose the farm. I mean, that's how impactful that, that could be to small businesses and farmers. Um, they're going to double the, uh, the capital gains tax, which is how small businesses use their dollars to be able to reinvest in, in business in their, in interest, in their, their own, you know, structures and, 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 and equipment. So um, it's just the, the, the bill that uh, the tax bill that uh, the administration is proposing to pay for all this is a disaster uh, from the standpoint of the infrastructure bill itself that, that deals with infrastructure. Yeah, it'd be very helpful from the standpoint you get uh, broadband in there, you get better roads and bridges, uh, airports, ports. Those are all important to small business. But yeah. the pay for is where the, where's the devil in the details here. And that's where the problem is at. 
So a couple things here, then, Congressman. Are, are you comfortable if this was deficit spending that, that did not hike taxes on small businesses or on consumers, for that matter? And should farmers in your district get a, a carve-out, an exemption from the estate tax if they essentially pass along a farm to their kids and maintain it as a family-operated farm? Should that be a special category? Well, I think, you know, farmers are a business and they, all small businesses are, are you know, fall in this category, Joe. I think. Well, as know, opposed to uh, selling it off for condos or something, Congressman. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's an individual decision. Again, you're, you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure a carve out is what I would be looking for, but I think uh, just across the board, just to have a stepped up basis for inheritance, uh, that's wrong. Uh, that's a bad way to go. Uh, they threw it out back in '76. I think we'll hopefully we'll throw it out again. Uh, but even if they if, if they do, there still is some major changes to the uh, inheritance tax uh, structure the way that it is right now. Uh, they want to revert back very similar to what it was prior to the tax cut bill that we passed back in '17. So, um, you know, I'm not sure why death has to be a taxable occurrence. Uh, people have paid taxes already. They've accumulated those dollars and paid taxes on them and they've invested them and, and uh, through their blood, sweat and tears, they've been able to have a farm or a business. And I'm not sure why we think that death is a taxable occurrence and why we need to go after people once again. That, that's the question in my mind that mm-hmm. we shouldn't have an inheritance tax to begin with. We're talking with Congressman Blaine Lutkemeyer, Republican from Missouri on Bloomberg Radio. Getting back to paying for it then. Is it is it okay if it makes the if it's debt spending deficit spending we have a bigger debt as long as it doesn't hike taxes? Well, let, let's let's look at the let's look at the, the Republican plan here for a minute, Joe, and and just give you a template for how this could actually work. Uh, the, it's called the Starter Act 2.0. It's about a little over 400 billion dollars, and it's paid for. And the way they pay for it is they utilize the highway trust funds. The other plan that you're talking about here, they utilize the trust funds and bankrupt the plan within about two years. Um, what our, the Republican plan is, you take the, the highway trust fund and it's about $150 billion, and you're going to take another $250 billion out of existing um, funds that are authorized that are not utilized. The, the CARES Act and, and subsequent bills that we passed have, have got a lot of uh, dollars out there that have already been authorized. And uh, there's there's excess in some of these accounts that we can go after and and better utilize those dollars. That's how you pay for something. The other plans that they're talking about here are either you go print money or you go get it from the taxpayers and farm higher taxes. Mm-hmm. And those, quite frankly, are not options that I can support. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Congressman Blaine Lukemeyer, Republican from Missouri, many thanks for being with us today, sharing your insights and bringing us your perspective on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us and welcome to Bloomberg Sound On for Tuesday. Is Fang too big to fail? And should those companies be brought down to size? Some big questions facing lawmakers on Capitol Hill as Democrats in the House pass a series of bills aimed at limiting big tech companies, Apple, Facebook, Google, from squashing the competition. It's one of the few issues 
that seems to have bipartisan support here in Washington. That's big tech getting too big. We've heard from many Republicans who say these companies, particularly those in social media, are stifling free speech, while Democrats have passed a series of antitrust bills, six of them aimed squarely at the fang companies, Apple, Facebook, Google. Congressman David Cicilline, Democrat from Rhode Island, chairs a House committee on antitrust. As American families shift more of their work, shopping, and communication online, these giants stand to profit. Locally owned businesses, meanwhile, mom and pop stores on Main Street, face an economic crisis unlike any in recent history. As hard as it is to believe, it's possible that our economy will emerge from this crisis even more concentrated and consolidated than before. We're joined on Bloomberg Sound On by an expert on this, Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Jen Ree. Welcome, Jen. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. What are they actually trying to do here? Six bills. (laughs) Uh, are, Are they trying to keep these companies from getting bigger or to better manage the way they conduct themselves, the way they behave? I think they're trying to do both of those things, actually, and more. Uh, you know, they're definitely trying to keep the companies from getting bigger. One of the bills would actually direct, uh, make it much more difficult for these companies to um, engage in mergers and acquisitions, particularly if the seller company was a nascent competitor or a startup company. You know, but they're also trying to manage what the companies can do, regulate what how they can conduct their business. So two of these bills, for instance, would, um, one would require interoperability and data portability. Um, And another one would not allow the companies to, if they operate a platform, to compete on their own platform. So if you look at those bills, it's not just not allowing them to get bigger and regulating what they're doing, but it's also an attempt to try to break them up. That last one you mentioned, that would make it almost impossible for Apple to do what it's doing on the App Store, right? Absolutely. Amazon, Apple, Google. I mean, a couple of these bills, what I think of as sort of the more intrusive or drastic ones, there are three of them, would really be business model and structural changes for these companies. I mean, it it would be a very big impact. And I think for that reason alone, I have a lot of doubts about at least the most drastic of the six bills you mentioned actually being able to maybe pass even through the House and even if they did get through Senate, because there would be so many unintended consequences. I mean, it's so hard to think through ultimately how it could all shake out and what the effects of these kinds of bills could be in the economy and for consumers, particularly for those aspects of these companies that the consumers really like, you know, like Amazon Prime or the fast delivery or, you know, pre-installed apps on an Apple iPhone, um, how it would affect those things, it's so unclear that I think it would be very difficult to garner the bipartisanship you'd need in the Senate to actually get these bills through, at least as they're written today. These are big companies, Jen, with obviously uh, enormous numbers of employees Yes. And it brings me back to the old Microsoft's antitrust case a hundred years ago. I know Microsoft has had some very aggressive lobbyists uh, in town trying to essentially eliminate themselves from this pool of companies. Are they all putting up a big force of lobbyists? How are the companies managing it? You know, right now they are. Uh, it seemed like it was a little bit of a late big lobbying effort. I don't know if they were taken by surprise or if they were just unprepared for the speed at which these bills were drafted and went before the House committee. But there was a lobbying effort, and I think you could see a little bit, if you watch the hearing on the markups on these bills, that some of those lobbying efforts might have 
might have been beneficial because you could hear some of the lawmakers sounded like they were parroting points or bullet points that they got from the lobbyists. Ah. And I think Microsoft probably did, too, because it did come up in the hearing as to whether these bills would cover Microsoft or not. And that's something that's unclear. Speaking of Microsoft in that old case, uh, is there any chance and will there be a concerted effort to break up any of these companies? And I ask you that knowing that some investors actually would love to see that happen, would love a (laughs) chance to invest in AWS inside Amazon or some of the other potential standalone companies. You know, really, there is a multi-pronged effort right now to try to break some of these companies up. I mean, as you've probably heard, the FTC is in in a lawsuit against Facebook where they'd like to seek the divestiture of Instagram and WhatsApp. Now, you know, they just had a loss in that lawsuit. The case was dismissed, but it was dismissed without prejudice, which means the FTC can come back and try to fix what was wrong with the complaint and refile it. So in the courts, they're seeking a breakup. There are current lawsuits against Google, also seeking a breakup. There is a a Texas state lawsuit uh, that relates to the ad tech stack and Google's control over the advertising process between publishers and advertisers that I believe is seeking the divestiture of DoubleClick, which is a company Google acquired, what, about 10 years ago or so, I think. So in the lawsuit side, you have this effort for a breakup. And then on the legislative side as well, because these bills in the House certainly seek to break up these companies. And I think it's possible we'll see something yet to come out of Senate that might also do the same thing, that might look like these House bills and are also seeking some sort of a breakup. We're talking with Bloomberg intelligence analyst Jen Rhee about these antitrust bills. I know Facebook yesterday had a bit of a win. A federal judge threw out antitrust lawsuits against that company. Does that have any impact on this legislation? You know, I really think it it does, because the reason that that case got dismissed was because of some of the technicalities and difficult elements that you have, you know, some of the hurdles that you have to get through in order to sustain an antitrust case. It's very difficult to win monopolization cases in court today the way the precedent has developed. And that's part of the reason that you have uh, legislators and politicians and antitrust scholars that are advocating for some reform to the antitrust laws because of these all of these technicalities that have built up that make it difficult. And it was one of those technicalities that got the FTC's case thrown out. So really, it just is a very good example as to why we probably, you know, those who advocate that we need new laws would say, this shows you why. Fascinating conversation with Bloomberg intelligence analyst Jen Rhee. You're always welcome here, Jen. Please come back. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Bloomberg Sound On. Thanks for spending part of your Tuesday with us. New competition from China seems to be a big motivator in a town where no one can agree on much. Separate bills have passed the House and Senate with bipartisan support to better meet the challenges from our biggest economic rival, and we're joined coming up by a specialist on supply chains and manufacturing in China. We'll be talking in a moment with Dan Harris, founding member of the international law firm Harris Bricken. The House and Senate are taking different approaches on this. They both, however, acknowledge that China has become a major rival when it comes to research and development. We're talking about more than our computer chip shortage although that's a big part of this as well. Dan's with us now, as I mentioned. From the firm Harris Brick and Dan, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Glad to be back. The House and Senate are taking different approaches on this, as I mentioned. 
But they are both trying to reach the same point, and I suspect that their bills will be reconciled at some point as well. Is our computer chip shortage that I mentioned the biggest example of what they're trying to deal with? I don't know if it's the biggest. It's probably the most important. I have to admit, when we start talking about semiconductors, Dan, uh, won't this chip problem resolve itself, the global shortage, before we have a chance to build new foundries here in the U.S.? Well, I'm not sure it will resolve itself without new foundries. Explain. Well, the problem is that a lot of the chips coming out of China these days are being prioritized for buyers from countries other than the United States. And if we don't get our own chip factories, I don't think we're going to get a sufficient number of chips. And by our own chip factories, I don't mean to say that we don't have any now. But if we don't get more of them, we're not going to have enough chips. Well, let's broaden things out here beyond uh, the chip shortage. We're dealing with China hoarding a lot of supplies, and we're watching China invest heavily. We even hear the president talk about that as as an argument for our infrastructure investment, China is dumping money into research and development. So how does the U.S. catch up? Well, I'm not so sure the word catch up is, is the right word here. A lot of people overestimate China's capabilities. Yes, um, they are very good at copying, but it is not entirely clear that they're good at innovating. People seem to forget that it was only a few years ago that China actually developed the capability to make a ballpoint pen. So it's China who needs to catch up with us. That doesn't change anything, though, in that the United States needs to spend to stay ahead of China. I'm glad you framed it that way. Uh, Are we taking the right approach legislatively then? I know there are, as I mentioned, a couple of different ways to achieve this. In the Senate bill, we're talking about $250 billion uh, to invest in research and development. Is that the kind of money that we should be spending to compete with China? 20 years ago, I would have said, heck no. Today, I'd say, heck yes. And what has changed is the scope and the money required to do the kind of research that is needed to stay ahead of China. China is spending roughly equivalent sorts of funds to try to jump over us. And if we don't do the same, we could fall behind. The difference between today and 20 years ago is that we need government help because even our largest companies cannot necessarily do it alone. You mentioned stealing, China stealing intellectual property, I assume you mean from the U.S. Should we be investing in security to prevent that just as well as we are into our own research and development? Yes, but more importantly, Americans need to understand that it's happening. And it's happening um, way more than businesses like to admit. And I hate to say this, but there are a lot of Chinese spies in the United States 
uh, ensconced at various big companies in the United States. And if you look at the case law, uh, there's a lot of evidence of Talk to me about the supply chains here. Uh, obviously, this has become an issue for the United States and a lot of other countries uh, in the Western world, whether we're talking about raw materials, right, rare earth, and indeed uh, products that are manufactured in China. It takes a long time to build supply chains. Is this a temporary problem? Again, as we're Looking at the way forward here, is this a temporary problem like you might suggest the chip shortage is? Or is it time for the U.S. to start essentially building new roads for trade? It is both a temporary and a long-term problem. It's temporary with respect to certain products. At the beginning, you mentioned China's hoarding products. Yes, they are hoarding products, but also products are having trouble getting out of China because of COVID outbreaks in various port cities. So that part is temporary, but something like the chip shortage, I don't know whether to call it temporary or permanent, but it's going to take years to remedy. And where my firm really started seeing it, not surprisingly, was with personal protective equipment. It was horrible at the beginning of COVID because China was basically the only country that had sufficient quantities of PPE, and they were brutally using that fact to their own political advantage. Yeah, we all remember when Robert Kraft got that airplane full of a a million, I think it was, masks to bring back to Massachusetts, and they had to go around the government to do it. Is that because, Dan, we just gave up on making certain things that we didn't think were worth making? We certainly gave up on making a lot of things. I don't know whether it's because anyone consciously determined they weren't worth making. I think it was that China consciously determined that they were worth making, and American companies went to China for those products because they could get them for less. If these bills become law, and again, it could take some time, as I mentioned, there are a couple of separate bills in the House. There's one big one, a more comprehensive bill in the Senate that would need to come together into a a single piece of legislation. If those bills become law, however presumptuous, what would they mean for American companies that are manufacturing products in China? Well, I think for some American companies, it would have no impact. I think for others, it would change the financial equation and cause them to have more products made in the United States or in alternative countries to China that are actually our allies, countries like Mexico, Poland, Vietnam, which is a borderline ally, mm-hmm. etc. How about in terms of trade with China's neighbors? That's where things get a little more complicated, whether we're talking about Vietnam or certainly Taiwan. They do get complicated, especially because Chinese companies own a lot of the factories in places like Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, the Philippines, etc. So buying a widget from Vietnam doesn't necessarily mean that you've ended your relationship with China. Yeah. 
Dan, does the president sign these bills if they get to his desk? Are you asking whether he should or whether he will? Both. I think he should. I'm not enough of a political expert to know whether he will or not. But if you force me to bet, I would say yes. It's going to be a long road before we get there. But glad you could speak with us today. Dan Harris, founding member of the international law firm Harris Bricken. Thanks for being with us today on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And by the way, President Biden has made his way back to town. Marine One just touched down on the White House lawn following the trip to La Crosse. We started the show with flew back on Air Force One, even though we all know he prefers Amtrak. As Biden reminded the crowd today in La Crosse. And so I'm getting on the train on that Friday, and these guys all became my family, all the conductors. And a guy named Angelo Negri came up. He goes, Joey, baby, grabbed my cheek like that. And I thought they were going to shoot him. I really did. I said, no, 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 no. He's a friend. He's like, what the hell? Spent a lot of time on Amtrak. We're glad to report they did not shoot Angelo. Join us again tomorrow as we bring you the stories and sounds that drive policy in Washington. There's only one place for that. Bloomberg Radio and this program sound on. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.